Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Okay, we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, and I'd like to talk to you about Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2. Uh, by just going through the, the text with you, with just some devotional ideas that you will find within your um, developing as a man and developing as a woman. Um, Colossians is a tight little gospel. And the way that it is organized is the first two chapters are the, the-, the theological foundation and then the last two chapters are the practical application. What you will notice when you go through the epistles, it is generally 50% theology and 50% practical application of that theology. So when we're looking at this, I'd like to talk to you about the first two chapters today, which have been really meaningful for me. And I just kind of want to walk you through them from the standpoint of um, some contextual ideas, as well as what you can do about them. So, starting in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, is my first stopping point. Uh, Paul writes this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Um, I have, as one of my very first discipleship emphases for anyone that I'm working with, uh, what I, a, a, a discipline that I call pray through your day. And it is one that I would like to leave with you. And part of that is to thank God for the people who are in my life. So that as I am going through my day, I am not just asking for wisdom, which is what I do. James chapter 1 verse 5 is that God recognizes that life hits us so fast that we're not able to keep up with it sometimes. And so I'll pray for wisdom. The second thing that I will pray for is some kind of character trait that I part, that I am myself working on. And um, I'll often go to the fruit of the Spirit and I will pick one of those character traits and I will ask the Lord to make that come alive within my life. And the one that I've worked on the most is kindness, is that I want my interactions to be filled with kindness and that the person who receives them has a sense that I do care about that person, even if I am doing some kind of confrontation or what I would call a fierce conversation, a hard conversation. Kindness is that I I really don't want to step outside of um, really trying to build a bridge to that person's heart. And the last thing that I'll pray for is what I am grateful for, what I'm grateful for. Um, And so this whole idea here of thanking God for people um, is really, really important because what it does is it reconnects me to the community. I am surprisingly independent. It's very hard for me to talk about what I need. It's hard for me to be vulnerable with people um, because I just don't think about it. I'm a high analytical and so I just go through my life. And when I was younger, I would go through my life and then I would have some kind of an explosion where I would be frustrated with something or I would think that people didn't care about me. Well, I gave them no reason to express care because I wasn't vulnerable. I wasn't saying, hey, I need you to pray about this for me. I need This is what I'm working on or this is what's happening to me or these are some of the areas that are a struggle for me. And um, as what I have learned as an elder 
Now, in verse number three is I thank God for our church a lot, a lot for you as a class, for the church in general, because notice this. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Is that there's something about faith and love that when they're put together in a community, it makes that community come alive. So if you have been a part of a community that has struggled with faith and struggled with love, you know the heartache of trying to be the catalyst within that community. And um, I'll just stop right there and say, Lord, am I praying in this way? So I want to give that to you as just this is normal. This is a natural way of just kind of going through um, your day. What follows then from verses five um, all the way down to verses 14 would be the effect of the gospel in your life. So when you read from from five on, the question is, are you beginning to live a life that really has the gospel come alive. And so our Sunday morning sermon series on the gospel um, has snippets about what that life looks like. Um, And so I I want to direct you to verse 10, um, if you will. We pray these things in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Let me just stop right there. One of my prayers is that I would really please God. That, that he would look at me and he would say, that's what I had in mind. When Jesus came and he paid the ultimate price and he died and he rose again and you now have my spirit living in you, Peter Buckland, that's what I had in mind. That kind of a response. That's what I want. Because in the end, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so right now, what I'm just saying is, Lord, is this the kind of a response that really pleases you, that that moves people forward, that advances the gospel through modeling, that allows for me to put the best foot forward of Christ in, in everything that I do? And there are times that I believe that I could do a better job. Does that mean that I think God is displeased? I'm not sure. But what it means is when I look at that, I I go back and I think I could have been more patient. I could have said that a little bit better. And then I go right back to verse three to pray for wisdom. (laughs) This is my loop that I go through all the time is, Lord, I really want to to handle this a little bit better. Now, um, you all know that Scott and I are like best friends. Scott is nicer than I am. Um, He has a better ability to take difficult situations and respond in kindness. And there are times that we have gone out um, as elders that I have been particularly provoked or I've been really upset about what has happened. Somebody has behaved in a certain way or we've got uh, a member of our church that has committed a crime and is probably heading to, to jail in some way. We're, we're the ones that are called out to do that. And I remember there are certain times that I will say to Scott, you have to start the conversation because I don't have anything good to say. <laughs> I mean, I'm stuck in my justice. I have a justice gene. And it's like, you deserve everything you get because I've already decided you're guilty. Did you ever get that way? You know, I think in another life, I could be Judge Dredd or somebody like that. You know, I mean, I could actually, you know, I could hear your case. I could decide for you and I could pronounce some kind of a judgment on you. And I, I have that capability to do that. And I know maybe some of you do and you know people who are like that. And I look at this verse then, verse 10, and I ask myself, am I pleasing the Lord even with that quality and characteristic? And here's what I want you to know. In my weakness, I sometimes have to hand it off to somebody else. 
because I recognize that in this moment, I will not please the Lord. Now, I don't kick myself for that. I mean, I recognize that I, I have my limitations and I get caught in my own perspectives as well. And I look at the scripture and the scripture catches that. And, and here's what I want you to know. Jesus sent out disciples two by two for a reason. And part of the reason he sent them out was so that the one who was better at handling a situation could take the lead. And it's safer and it's better. Our eldership does not go out one at a time. It always goes out two by two for this reason is I could make um, a miscalculation and overstate something or get swooped up in my own perspective, which actually might not be right. And I could do something that actually would not be pleasing to the Lord. So here's what I want you to think about when you look at verse number 10 for yourself. Um, are you willing to link with other people? Are you willing to say, I'm not so good at this and I want to do this with somebody else? Um, I want to go calling with somebody else who does a better job. I want to deal with a situation. I want to call my friend to say, I'm going to have a hard conversation at work and I need you to pray for me because I'm afraid I'm going to get caught up in the emotions of this. I'm not going to tell you what the conversation is, but would you just please pray for me? Would, would you just be an advocate for me because I feel vulnerable? We, we are to function as a family that loves each other and cares about each other. And one of the ways that we care about each other is to simply recognize that we will have a vulnerability. And our job is to help each other to please the Lord in everything that we do. And if all I can do, and I know I'm just going to say it that way, because that's why we say it. If all I can do is pray, that is probably the best thing that I can do for you. If I can't be there. So I want to ask you, do you call in the Calvary? When you have to deal with something so that you can actually please the Lord in every way. Now notice this. He goes on to say, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Go back to bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work means that every good thing that you do will produce something. I like that. My patience will produce something. My prayer while you're talking to me, when I get really flustered, um, I want to take matters into my own hands. I don't know if you get that way or not, but I want to make things right the way that I understand right. And what I'm looking at now is this, this ability to be patient, this ability to take my time, this ability to put to push a pause and to say, Lord, I need to make a decision right now and you need to help me be able to do that. And I want this to produce good fruit, even if it's a hard conversation, even if it's difficult, even if I don't understand it, I need you to, in the end, produce good fruit. And so I want you to think process. Sometimes process is better than pronouncement. And this is what's hard for me because I'm by nature impatient. I don't know if you are. You know, the, the growth cycle sometimes is really hard for me. And even as an elder, um, when we deal with issues at the church of people really struggling and like falling on their face, we have to let them get up and reestablish credibility and move forward. That is the fair and just thing to do, right? And sometimes that's hard for us because we have to let people have a do-over and they have to demonstrate credibility and they have to demonstrate faith all over again. And I have to let that happen as a leader and so do you. We do that in our families. We do that in our marriages. We do that with our children. It is reconciliation. It is the restoration of a person to wholeness and wellness. And it is a process that produces 
fruit. I'm very mindful of that. That's what I want to be. I want to be that person that guides that process to produce fruit, to have the conversations and the support that will actually accomplish that. This next section in here that says growing in the knowledge of God. The word knowledge there is um, shorthand for Paul. That means personal relationship. It means experiential knowledge. That's what this class is about. When Paul uses the word that you might know Christ, um, the Greek word there emphasizes the experience that you have, not just passing a test. It's not just knowing information about God. It's actually knowing him so that he can come alive for you. Now, it's really easy for me in my personality to keep God at a distance. I don't know if it is for you. It's very easy for me to just go, "Okay, Lord, you've gotten close enough. And thank you very much. I think I've learned enough. Thank you. And what happens is, is I get stressed out in this world. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've said to him, I think I've grown enough. Why don't you just leave me alone? Because I have another situation to deal with or I have another element to pray about. Or we were just talking about how the world just seems to be falling apart and I'm tired of it. I don't know if you are. I'm just tired sometimes of that. And what God is saying is come back to me and spend time with me. It's a loop. You get tired, spend time with me. Get to know me. Get to know the power of who I am. Get to know the power of the resurrection. Get to know the power of the Holy Spirit. And living in this world, you will choose something other than me if you don't know me. So here's what I want you to think about. Sometimes I think that what we go through is designed by God to pull us right to him. He uses it. Because he can use everything. And I want you to remember this word to know God means to experience him personally. Experience him personally. So my question for you is through these experiences in the class. Remember the the scripture is not God. The scripture is his word that helps us to experience him. The Lectio Divina is a way to experience him. Silence and solitude is a way to know him. All of these elements are designed for you to find that connection. And then notice verse 11, being strengthened with all power. I did a, a Greek version, a study on that, and that actually means all power. That just simply means God will give you what you need in order to accomplish what needs to be done. He will give you what you need, which I think is really cool, which takes away the fear of what you have to face. But again, you might need to tell on yourself to say, I've got a difficult conversation or I have a situation coming up and I really need your help. Because I'm not really sure how I want to deal with this. So sometimes the all power um, I have noticed is activated in fellowship. I feel more power when I do things with Scott that are a stress for me than when I do them by myself. There's just something about fellowship that I want to remind you of with that. And then the last one is that you're going to have great endurance, joyfully giving thanks to God the Father. I ask myself this and I... I'm the kind of person where my emotions drains off of my face. So if I'm really happy and joyful, this is the way I look. If I'm really sad and mopey, this is the way I look. If I'm just like unsure and I'm kind of tired and I'm in public, this is the way I look. And so it's been really hard for my wife to read me. My wife is like a puppy dog's tail. You know, I can tell by her emotions, she wears them closer to the surface. My son Austin is that way. My son Alex and my daughter Audrey are more like me. But here is something that I have learned about myself. 
Joy is supposed to light up my life. It's supposed to be one of those emotions that is to be present. And it's one of those emotions that I tend to suppress. Just because um, I just don't think about finding a way to be joyful with the Lord. And so when Paul talks about um, this joy, it says joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's sending you to heaven. That's what that means. Who's empowered you with his Holy Spirit. Who's taken away all of your fear so that you can live a life that is amazing and cool. Who will give you the wisdom that you need. You ought to have a smile on your face, even when life is kind of rough. Because you have a God who meets you in that moment to give you all power. Who will take whatever obedience you have and create something amazing in the way of fruit. And who will also draw you to him. That's why we're joyful. Not so much circumstantially, but as a result of what we're doing. And then this last one, verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Um, I grew up in a dark house. I grew up in a non-Christian environment. I grew up in a legalistic church that took away all grace and gave us instead rules and then disfellowshipped people who didn't agree with those rules. I grew up not around a lot of light. It wasn't until my early 30s that I really came to terms with what grace was. And this passage, verse 13, about this transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom that God loves is really a passage about grace. And so I ask myself this, can I live in grace? This is that Romans 5 passage that we talked about. Can I live in grace and can I extend it to you? Can I extend it to you? Can I give you the chance to be transferred? Can I give you the chance to repent? We've talked about repentance. Can I give you the chance to move forward and see what actually happens? And so I'm asking myself in my swiftness of judgment, which I have inside of my mind, can I give you the chance to move forward? It's the chance God gave me. And I didn't really understand it till my 30s. What about somebody who's grown up in a similar situation? And I don't know where you are in really understanding grace, but um, I try not to take advantage of it now. Um, Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, should we keep on sinning so grace will abound? And the actual Peter Buckland um, Greek translation is, that's the stupidest thing in the world I've ever heard. He says, oh, may it never be. What he's really saying is, don't ask that question. No, no, people are saying, I can act this way and then get forgiveness later. You've heard that, right? I can do this. This is indulgences. I can actually pay for my sin early and God will forgive me because I have a piece of paper. Or because God loves me, I can act any way I want to because I can ask forgiveness later. That's, that's Romans 6. When I look at this passage about being transferred, I see Christ on a cross and I see a chance. And I look at that and I say, that's what I want in my own life. I want to have that sacrifice of Christ and I want to experience the joy of moving out of darkness and then let other people be able to do that as well. Starting in verse 15, and I'm not going to go through all of this, but in 15 to the end of the chapter, you have the amazingness of Jesus and how who he is as the Savior of the world, as God, has removed the barriers that have separated you from him. And verse 21 is for me one of the most important things here. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you. 
So here's my question for us. Can we live as friends with God? Do we know what that means? Can we live attached to him? Can we live knowing that he's our home base? Can we live in knowing that he is only a conversation away? That he actually dwells in us in some amazing way? That he has removed all of those barriers? I think... I mean, we were just listening to more amazing stories about people coming into Sunday's worship. I don't know what happened in the second and third service of our worship time, but something really amazing happened that I have heard stories about even before I got here today. It didn't happen in the first service quite the same way. That's the one I usually go to. Uh, But something happened in the second and third service. Um, And Easter's right around the corner. And so the elders are praying and fasting on Thursday, if you want to join us. We're praying and fasting for Easter and what it what God will do in our services for people who are showing up. So if you want to join us, that's our day that we're really going to be asking the Lord to bless us. But what, what has happened is people were feeling and sensing the movement of God drawing them, draw, God drawing them to him in those two services, which was really amazing. I, I just hated it that I was doing other things, elderly things, because I'm like, gosh, I hate to miss out on that. But there was something that happened um, after the, the message in people's lives that they were beginning to talk about. This is real. Once you were alienated, once you were separated, but now you are brought close. And so one of the things that I want to challenge you as you go out of this class is how do you stay close? How do you stay close? And how do you demonstrate appreciation that God is doing this amazing thing in your life? Because we brothers and sisters, are just regular people. We're just regular people with an extraordinary God. And he moves in us to do really crazy, cool things. And all we want for him to do is more of that. That's all we want him to do is just do more of that and show us how to do that. Now, um, another verse in here that I want to give you is verse 17. I have the New International Version, and I know that different versions um, talk about this a little bit differently. But verse 17, um, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. Um, What I want for you to think about with this is um, a practical application. This is my last thing that I want to just leave you with this devotional thought. Um, I have learned the value, through a friend of mine, of metaphors. And word pictures. And um, as I have translated this section, he holds us together, is an acceptable way to take a look at this. And I translate that to a belt. um, Or saran wrap, if you will. (laughs) That God comes around us and he holds our lives together. As a counselor, I deal with people who feel like their lives are falling apart. And I deal with people who feel like there's been a bomb that's been put inside of them that has exploded their lives everywhere. God knows how to take that and put it back together again and how to wrap it up and hold it together. There are times that Vanna and I will pray for each other, that God will wrap his cords around us and he will hold us together as people and as a family. Now, what I'm asking for is something beyond what I can really comprehend. That I'm asking for God to do something that somehow mystically will take my life with anxiety on the edges or uncertainty in my future and pull it together and hold it 
so that I can function better than I otherwise would function. That's what I'm praying for with that, that I'll function better than I otherwise would function. And I don't know how to ask that all the time other than in a word picture from Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, which has been for me many times my prayer. Hold me together. Hold me together. Hold me together. I might actually ask to be held together in a particular way. I might be asked to be held together emotionally. I might be asked to be held together sexually. I might be asked to be held together financially. I might be asked to be held together relationally or maritally. I mean, this is a very deeply personal prayer because the world is trying to explode us. Just explode our families, explode who we are, explode us when we are alone, explode us when we travel, explode us in our own relationships, explode our church, hold us together. Now, what I think is really interesting, there are certain parts about my relationship with God that really get my attention at certain points of my life. This one gets it all the time. Because what I, what I have been challenged to do is live a life that I have never lived before. I didn't grow up with Christian modeling. And so I'm kind of making it up as I go. <laughs> and so I look for people who have made more progress than I have. But I'm kind of making this up as I go. And I'm looking at the scripture and I'm asking myself this. If it really truly is the word of God, then what effect should it have in my life if I put it into practice? Hold me together so I can see what will happen. Hold my faith together. Hold my family together. Hold my church together. Hold my friends together so we can see what happens when the word of God comes alive. Give us the endurance to wait. Wait. Such an important part. I'm impatient and I'd really kind of like to have heaven now. I don't know about you. And so what I want to leave you with tonight is this. Even just looking at this first part of Colossians. When when you read a passage of scripture, um, one one of the elements I started in my 20s was I actually wanted a hard copy. I do this with a hard copy rather than a digital copy. I have so many digital Bibles, I don't always know what to do with them. But there are times I want, I want to hold it in my hand. And as I read through it, I'll take my index finger and I'll put it on the passage And I will say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to make that come alive in me, but that's what I want. I'm not going to be so bold as to demand it. What I'm going to say is, if you will, in your grace, hold me together and make that truth come alive. I don't know how it's going to. I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it or it's a struggle of mine. Would you please do that? And that becomes a part of my history. Sometimes I'll make a note in my Bible. Sometimes I'll jot it down. Sometimes it's so personal that I'll just meditate on it for the entire week. That's what I want to see. And over months, generally, I'm a very slow changer person. Over months, I begin to see movement in that direction. I see it. But there are also times that I don't think I'm going to get there all the way. Because part of that, God knows that I am super independent. And if I go there all the way, do I need my friend Scott Boudreaux? No, I'll do it by myself. And he knows that if he takes me all the way in my own brokenness and pride, I may have a tendency to pull out of fellowship. 
So I don't worry anymore about what my struggle is. What I am concerned about is can I be held together and be drawn to the Lord in the midst of that struggle? Because a struggle is not a sin. A sin is a sin. An action is a sin. Dwelling on something and and meditating on evil is a sin. But not just saying, hey, I'm, I'm just really grappling with this. And so sometimes I just use that grappling as an opportunity to really be drawn closer to the Lord and to admit to my closest relationships I'm really struggling with this. So I want to encourage you that as you read through these passages or listen to Pastor Mark's sermons or Mark's or uh, Michael DeFazio's sermons, that you look at that and you put your finger on a passage and you say, I want to see that happen in my life. Hold me together. Go back to this passage. Hold me together enough that this will come alive and then just wait and see what happens. Last little thing that I want to tell you is he never forgets your prayers. Never. You will forget them. He will not. And even later, you may see something happen and you're going, wow, I didn't remember until just now that I had prayed that. So I will just say, Lord, make make these come alive so that I can be the kind of person that I want to be. Um, I'd like to give you a little bit of time tonight just to... um, time is it? 7.51 to process anything from Colossians chapter one that we're talking about. Um, I know it's kind of like drinking from a theological fire hose sometimes and just kind of grab an idea. Um, And I want to pray for you at 7.51. And uh, when you're done, you're welcome to just kind of drift away from the tables um, when you are ready also. But I would like to give an elder prayer for you about using Colossians one as a template for our personal growth. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that you make your word come alive in us, that you hold us together, that you allow for us to be joyful, that you are drawing us to you in a personal relationship, that we can use Paul's words that were penned um, two millennia ago and use those as models and maybe even mottos for our own life. Lord, there's so much here that talks about what does it mean to have a normal, regular Christian experience with you. And we pray that you will teach us what that means for us. That as we pray and as we think about our own lives and as we ask you to change us, as we have the gospel keep coming alive over and over and producing fruit in us, that you will help for us really, Lord, to be a testimony of your grace, trophy of your grace, if you will, in a fallen world so that you can turn the spotlight on us and say this. You can see that Peter is functioning better than what he really should. That's because there's a living God who works in him. And as you turn that spotlight on all of us and people notice, help us to find the words to point them to you. Right now, teach us from these passages what you want us to emphasize. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.